My goodness, what a joy it is to be with you. I am so excited about today's lesson. Thank you, Maria. <laughs> uh, we are going to spend some time today talking about prayer. What a mighty God we serve and what an awesome privilege it is to be invited to worship him and do this service of worship at the altar of incense. Did everyone get a handout? If not, raise your hand and hold it up high until one is placed in your hands. Wonderful. God bless you all who serve the Lord faithfully and provide those sweet ministrations of hospitality and the ushering and all those different things. It is such a blessing. Thank you, yes. Let's hear it for him. And the ladies in the sound booth, it's an incredible privilege to be able to serve the Lord with such sweet people. Okay, today we are going to take a look at the altar of the incense. We're going to start in Exodus chapter 30. And hopefully by this time in the study, we have become so at home in the holy place that we are ready at every moment to worship and to praise and to serve our God, uh, having communion with our Savior. Outside the altar of sacrifice, we remember that our sin has been covered by the sacrifice of God Almighty, that we have been washed in the living water, and now we can come boldly into this holy place where we see the illumination of the glory of our King of Kings from the golden lampstand and know that we are invited to come to his table and share communion with him. And the whole time, this sweet-smelling aroma, this beautifully fragrant incense is permeating the air. And we are invited to come. So on your handout, you have those instructions for the building of and the moving of this new piece of furniture. The location of the altar of incense is just before the veil in the holy place. It is right next to the veil. The materials that are used are acacia wood overlaid with gold, pure gold, and also... Add this to your notes, the incense, the instructions for the materials used to compound this incense are in Exodus chapter 30, verses 34 through 38. And if you take a quick look at the back of your handout, there is a portion there, we're going to come back to it in a bit, where you can add notes about the individual uh, ingredients for the incense that was used at the altar of incense. Now, for the dimensions, it is only one cubit in uh, measurement, square, perfect square. So that would make it roughly 18 inches square. But it is about three feet high. Perfectly square with those four horns on each of the four corners. The golden altar of incense, it is also called, Sometimes it's called the altar of incense, sometimes the golden altar. It shared some of the same design features that we saw at the altar of sacrifice. Though the golden altar is like the table of showbread in that they both have a golden crown on top, the border on the top. So we'll start reading the instructions that God gave Moses, Exodus chapter 30, verse 1. 
the Lord speaking. Moreover, you shall make an altar as a place for burning incense. You shall make it of acacia wood. Its length shall be a cubit and its width a cubit. It shall be square and its height shall be two cubits. Its horns shall be of one piece with it. You shall overlay it with pure gold, its top and its sides all around and its horns, and you shall make a gold molding or crown all around for it. Then in verses 4 and 5, he gives those uh, familiar instructions for the rings that were mounted and the poles that were made so that this piece of furniture, like all the rest, could be born. Then in verse 6, he says, You shall put this altar in front of the veil that is near the ark of the testimony, in front of the mercy seat that is over the ark of the testimony, where I will meet with you. Aaron shall burn fragrant incense on it. He shall burn it every morning when he trims the lamps. When Aaron trims the lamps at twilight, he shall burn incense. There shall be perpetual incense before the Lord throughout your generations. You know, our instruction is to pray without ceasing. And that command to us is a picture of what you see right here. Verse 9, you shall not offer any strange incense on this altar or burnt offering or meal offering, and you shall not pour out a drink offering on it. Aaron shall make atonement on its horns once a year. He shall make atonement on it with the blood of the sin offering of atonement once a year throughout your generations. It is most holy to the Lord. Now, verse 10 there is a reference to the um, service of worship and the ceremony that would take place once a year on the great day of atonement. So if you'll take a moment to turn, hold your place here in Exodus 30, we'll come back. But turn to Leviticus chapter 16. This is a chapter that we should all be very familiar with. It is probably one of the two or three most important chapters in Scripture. And if you become familiar with it, especially this time of year when we're heading into the celebration of our Savior's resurrection, you will see why. This was a most holy day on the Hebrew calendar. And there are instructions for much shedding of blood, many ceremonial washings, and the high priest alone would do all of the work that was required on this single great day. And in verses 12 and 13 of Leviticus 6, we see the instructions specifically pertaining to this altar of incense. Uh, the Lord is instructing, he, speaking of the great high priest, he shall take a fire pan full of coals of fire from upon the altar before the Lord and two handfuls of finely ground sweet incense and bring it inside the veil. He shall put the incense on the fire before the Lord that the cloud of incense may cover the mercy seat that is on the ark of the testimony. Otherwise, he will die. This is a very holy occasion, as I said, on the Hebrew calendar. And I pray that y'all will take the time to go through and read Leviticus 16 for yourselves. Now, as you are studying your Bible, you get into the New Testament, and there seems to be a slight discrepancy about the location of this piece of furniture. The writer of Hebrews tells us in chapter 9, 
verses three and four for your notes. I will read this one for you. He is describing the furniture in the tabernacle. And he says, behind the second veil, there was a tabernacle, which is called the Holy of Holies, having a golden altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant. So as you're reading that, it sounds like, well, I thought in the Old Testament it was before the veil, and now you're telling me it's behind the veil. And I will let you wrestle this one out for yourself, but I will tell you just a couple of things that might help you on this journey, because you need to be the ones who search the scriptures daily to prove whether these things be so. And however the Lord prompts and encourages your heart to do that, off you go. But I will say this. The Greek word that the writer of Hebrews uses there for altar of incense can also be translated censer. So it is possible that what is being described here is what we just read in Leviticus, that on that one day, the censer of incense was taken into the holy place behind the veil. Or it could be that when the writer of Hebrews is writing, it's after the cross, and that veil in the temple, 80 feet tall, 10 inches thick, not a wispy, filmy bridal veil, but a thick, elaborate tapestry was split from top to bottom. So that side of the cross, there is no first and second tabernacle. It's all open. There is no barrier for the believer of Jesus Christ to go all the way into the holy place. So it is possible that that's the interpretation. But again, I will leave that to you. We are going to move on. Now, we have discussed the typology of some of these details uh, in other pieces of furniture in previous studies, the materials and the design features. For example, we saw at the altar of sacrifice the perfect square indicating the four corners of the earth, that whatever the ministry is taking place at that piece of furniture, it reaches to an endless number of people. Every person, tribe, tongue, and nation has access to the sacrifice, but also to prayer. Beautiful pictures. And then we saw also that horns on the four corners are symbolic of power, that the power of the sacrifice, the power of prayer reaches to the four corners of the earth. And then the gold, it's pure. It's a, it's a symbol of divine royalty, and we have that here. But add to all of these this very costly, beautifully fragrant incense that is symbolic of prayer. The writer of Psalm 141 verse 2 says, May my prayer be counted as incense, the lifting of my hands as the evening offering. And the book of Revelation gives us an exciting glimpse into the future of our prayers. Do you all know that your prayer, every single one, is so precious to your father that he is holding them in golden bowls in heaven? And one day, soon and very soon, we could be standing in his presence, presenting our golden bowls before the Lamb of God as an act of praise and worship. So again, keep your place there in Exodus 30, but turn to Revelation chapter 5. We will read verses 8 and 9 for you great note takers. Revelation 5, 8 and 9. And then we're going to jump to Revelation chapter 8. But start with 5. And here we read, 
When he had taken the book or the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each one holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. This is y'all. These are your lyrics because you, this is the song of the redeemed. This is going to be you someday. So get on learning these lyrics today. It says right here somewhere. And they sang a new song saying, verse 9, Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals, for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And then you turn a couple pages to Revelation 8, verses 3 through 5, and we see our prayers in those golden bowls again. Only this time, much incense is going to be added to them. And we read verse 3. Another angel came and stood at the altar. Y'all, this is the real deal in heaven. All we're looking at as we study the tabernacle are the shadows of the glorious future and the real deal that is in heaven. So here it is. Here he's standing at the altar holding a golden censer and much incense was given to him so that he might add it to the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar, which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints went up before God out of the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with the fire of the altar and threw it to the earth. And there followed peals of thunder and sounds and flashes of lightning and an earthquake. This is the moment in history when every prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven will be fulfilled in a mighty way. God's perfect will will be done big time on this day. But in the meantime, we are not the only ones that are about the ministry of prayer. Our great high priest ever liveth to intercede for us. Hebrews chapter 7 for your notes, verse 25, therefore he is able to save forever those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for us. Prayer is a privilege. It is a mighty privilege. This altar is located right next to the Holy of Holies and there is nothing this side of the cross with the veil rent in two. There is nothing that separates our prayer from the very throne of God. It's astounding to think of the access that we have through Jesus Christ. And prayer is our always open line of communication directly to the Father through the Son. Our prayers should be a source of delight to the Father, a fragrant aroma that ascends before his throne all day, morning and evening, and through the night watches too. Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians 5, rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks. This is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And that brings us to those ingredients that are used for the altar. So go back to Exodus 30. We are going to look in verses 34 through 38 to see the instructions given specifically regarding this incense. 
Then the Lord said to Moses, take for yourselves, for yourself, excuse me, spices. And I do not speak Hebrew or Greek, so forgive my pronunciation and go and sin no more. All right. So, stacti and anaka and galbanum spices with pure frankincense. There shall be an equal part of each. Verse 35. With it you shall make incense, a perfume, the work of a perfumer, salted, pure, and holy. You shall beat some of it very fine and put part of it before the testimony in the tent of meeting where I will meet with you. It shall be most holy to you. The incense which you shall make, you shall not make in the same proportions for yourselves. It shall be holy to you for the Lord. Whoever shall make any of it, any like it, to use as perfume shall be cut off from his people." This is a very specific composition of incense. It's the only thing, only thing that is to be offered on this particular altar. There is no other religious activity that can take the place of prayer. That is the only ministry that happens on this particular altar. And our prayer, like the incense, should have a composition to it. Not in a legalistic, you have to follow a certain pattern kind of way. But it should be, our prayer should be made up of adoration and thanksgiving and confession and supplication and intercession. These are the components of prayer. And the sweet thing is that while we're praying, sometimes we don't know what to pray or how, but Jesus is there interceding for us. He's taking our feeble efforts and he is glorifying them and magnifying before the throne, before the Father. What a privilege it is. So what makes this incense so special? If you look at the individual ingredients there, we see that even in the smallest detail of this tabernacle, Jesus Christ is pictured. It wasn't, he's not kidding around when he said, the volume of the book is written of me. Now, stacti, the Hebrew word means to ooze out in drops. And I think of our sweet Savior in the Garden of Gethsemane sweating blood on the night before his crucifixion. Stacti is a resinous gum. It may be a type of myrrh. And myrrh is a burial spice. Annika is a species of, of shellfish. And a very small portion of the shell was first ground and then burned to emit an odor very similar to musk. Shellfish, interestingly, are considered unclean to the Hebrew people. But they are linked to the church in typology in that we see many parables about pearls And even in heaven, the pearly gates. Galbanum comes from the leaves of a Syrian plant. It's also a resinous gum, and it occurs in these small, semi-translucent tears, or sometimes in these brownish-yellow masses. It is pleasantly aromatic, but extremely bitter to taste. Bitterness is symbolic of Christ's sufferings and of affliction, Misery and servitude. 
And then the last of the spices is frankincense. We saw this last week in the table of showbread. Its presence here at the table of showbread and also in the anointing oil is one of the reasons that it is symbolic of the priesthood. And it is uh, mentioned throughout scripture more often than any of the other things combined. This is one of the gifts that the Magi brought to the toddler Jesus. It is a white resin that comes from trees that can grow to incredible heights and send their roots down to tremendous depths. The resin is obtained by sharp, sharp knives incising the bark of the tree and then out oozes this resin. Then you scrape that off and you have to grind it and also burn it in order to release its fragrance. The root meaning of its Hebrew name is to be white, to be purified. And then you notice that the, after all those four spices are listed, each in equal measure, salt is added to the mixture. It consists of uh, salt, that is, consists of lots of meaning. The, it's a very complex thing, both spiritually and literally. Throughout history, salt has been used to heal, to purify, to cleanse, to flavor, to buy, to sell, to ratify contracts and covenants, to make treaties, to show respect and admiration. For your notes in Numbers chapter 18, verse 19, you read of a covenant of salt. That's an interesting Bible study for you all to undertake sometime, the covenant of salt. It meant something that endures something that lasts for a very, very long time. And I think this is interesting. You know our word salary? The Latin word is salarium. A salary, a salarium, is part of a Roman soldier's pay, and it was specifically given to him so he could buy salt. So off you go with that. Now, it also has always been an indication of someone's character. You know, she is really worth her salt. That's a, a really high compliment. It didn't look so good on Lot's wife, but the Lord did tell us that we were supposed to be salt in this world and warns us not to lose our savor. Now, this compound incense, I can't, it must have been extremely costly and even difficult to obtain. Now, remember... They are going to make this incense every day, twice a day, for 40 years, wandering in the wilderness. Where do you get shellfish wandering in the wilderness? Imagine how much it cost to put this together over the course of 40 years. And the whole of it together was made for one single sole purpose. It was the sole use of the priests in their daily service in the tabernacle any imitation for private use would result in that individual being cut off from the people. Now, the procedure would be to go out and get a coal off the altar of sacrifice and bring it into the altar of incense every evening, every morning, fresh incense applied, and it created that continual aroma that ascended before the throne. It was pleasing to the Lord. We come to the altar of incense by the blood sacrifice of our Savior Jesus Christ, by the fiery suffering that he endured there. And what strikes me most about this incense is that in every single phase of gathering and preparing, brutality and death are pictured. 
Trees are lacerated, oozing resins are scraped. Along with the seashells, you've got to kill something to get the shell. All of them are put together and ground very fine and then set on fire. You know, our, we're getting ready to, to spend time looking closely at the crucifixion of our Savior. Do you know that the word excruciating means literally out of the cross? The torture that he endured, the fire of every nerve ending being assaulted in a crucifixion death is incredible. And if you should happen to taste by accident this incense compound, it would be so bitter. Just naturally recoiling it, recoiling from it would happen. None of them by themselves had any form or comeliness that we should desire them. But together as a picture of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice, they have become precious in my sight. They are holy, sacred things. And sadly, there are several misuses recorded in scripture over the incense and over this altar of incense themselves. And I have tried to edit this out, y'all. I'm gonna brass through it. So listen hard and fast, and then it'll be recorded so you can go back and catch what you miss. But I said, Lord, how do I leave one of these stories out? And I couldn't figure out how to do it, so you're getting them all. It's a bonanza of stories today. Um, the very first one comes from Leviticus chapter 10, if you would like to turn there. Leviticus chapter 10. But, well, you know what? Let's look at chapter 9, the last couple verses of chapter 9 first, because this is just astounding to me. Verses 23 and 24 of Leviticus chapter 9. Now, this is day one, my sisters, day one of inaugurating and consecrating the tabernacle for the service of worship. First day, okay? Moses and Aaron went into the tent of meeting, when they came out and blessed the people, the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. Then fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the portions of fat on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. Day one. Now, what happened if you go back and read the verses previous? They prepared all of these offerings and sacrifices, but there was no fire. The fire came down from heaven and God lit the altar. And Hebrew tradition says they never let the fire go out. That they maintained that same fire. And every time they moved the tabernacle, they would have those burning coals that were originally lit by God himself. So they would take from that fire every morning, every evening. And this sacred and holy thing, day one. And now Aaron has four sons. And these two boys, their names are Nadab and Abihu. So they constitute 50% of the uh, sons of Aaron here. And they commit some kind of grievous error pertaining to the altar of sacrifice, or excuse me, the altar of incense. And it's incense. So the Lord just executes them right on the spot. Immediately after consecrating and establishing the whole tabernacle system, the only way that we can consecrate our life is by the blood of Christ. He maintains us in that position of salvation, but we must draw near and keep near him through fellowship, through prayer, through the reading of his word in order to avoid sin. Because it's not physical proximity 
that we are measured by. This convicts me every time I go over it. These guys were as close to the presence of God, the Shekinah glory of God, as any other person in the camp. And God is measuring near in a spiritual sense, not in a physical sense. And though these two men were very near to the glory of God, they were far from him spiritually. Scholars will speculate about the exact uh, manner of sin they committed, and I really don't know what exactly it is they did. It is possible, as they bring this strange fire before the Lord, that they were doing uh, Aaron's job. He was the high priest, after all, and it was his job, and he had a golden censer that was only supposed to be used here. It, that's possible. But I think we get a clue as we read through the account in verse 9. It says, this is after they're executed, mind you. Do not drink wine or strong drink, neither you nor your sons with you, when you come into the tent of meeting, so that you will not die. It is a perpetual statute throughout your generations. Were they so excited about all the celebration and the inauguration of the tabernacle that they became inebriated and then came before the Lord in that condition? I don't know. Regardless of cause, no less than four times is their death by divine judgment recorded. So whatever they did, the Holy Spirit wants us not to let these lessons be lost. Verses 1 and 2 there of Leviticus 10, it says, Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took their respective fire pans, and after putting fire in them, placed incense on it and offered strange fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Pray, ladies, for those in authority over you. And look in the mirror of God's word at yourself because you are in authority over somebody yourself. This is no joking matter for the Lord. This is holy to him. Honestly look into the labor of God's word and ask God if there is any worldly thing that is intoxicating you. Anything that would draw you away from that perfect communion and fellowship with God. And repent and confess it. Ephesians 5.18 tells us that we are to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be ye being filled is what it says. That's an ongoing moment-by-moment -moment condition continuously under the influence of the Holy Spirit alone. Now, there's two other stories in, recorded in Scripture that give us the misuse of this holy holy moment. The first is recorded in Numbers chapter 16, if you'd like to turn there. It is come to be called the rebellion of Korah, Numbers chapter 16. And in this story, a very arrogant, covetous Korah and company challenged Moses and Aaron's positions of leadership over the nation Israel. More specifically, Korah and company are very angry because Aaron's family was chosen for the priesthood. Korah and his family served at the tabernacle, but not in the tabernacle, and he was not satisfied with that. In fact, it is the sons of Korah, that whole family, who were responsible for the moving of the holy 
articles of furniture. They moved the altar of incense and the uh, Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat and all the rest. But that wasn't satisfying enough for him. And the Lord is going to choose sides on this issue. He is going to cause the ground to open up and swallow all that belong to the rebels. Then he's going to cause a great fire to consume all who are in league with him. How does this tie in with the altar of incense, you wonder? Well, before the fire and the ground open up and swallow all the rebels, God identifies his chosen through censers of incense. And then he gives Moses these instructions in number 16, verse 5. And he spoke to Korah and all his company, saying, Tomorrow morning the Lord will show who is his and who is holy and will bring him near to himself. Even the one whom he will choose, he will bring near to himself. Do this. Take censers for yourselves, Korah and all your company, and put fire in them and lay incense upon them in the presence of the Lord tomorrow. And the man whom the Lord chooses shall be the one who is holy. You have gone far enough you sons of Levi. You can always identify a Korah because he never goes to his brother alone to resolve a conflict. He always gathers a posse and he's way more um, interested in elevating himself than in elevating Jesus Christ. And I'm telling you, pray for those in authority over you and look in the mirror. This one man leads 250 of the most notable leaders into deep trouble. Verse 31 there in chapter 16. And he, Moses, finished speaking all these words. The ground that was under them split open and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up and their households and all the men who belonged to Korah with their possessions. So they and all that belonged to them went down alive to Sheol and the earth closed over them and they perished from the midst of the assembly. Now, a moment of encouragement here. Even though this man, Korah, led many to their death through his sin of rebellion, the sons of Korah did not necessarily follow along. Some of the sweetest psalms in our scripture are written by the sons of Korah, including the one that says, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. They're beautiful psalms of praise and being satisfied in their role in serving the Lord. Now, this rebellion, though, will spread and it will infect the whole camp of Israel. So BTW, the majority, is not always right. Jude uses this man's example as a warning to the church. He calls it the rebellion of Korah. And that means basically to speak out against those who are in authority over the church. I'm saying it again. Pray for those in authority over you and look in the mirror and check your own heart. If you are in authority over any other person, and you are, some great and some small authority, but that's no guarantee of righteousness. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord ever and anon, and he will lift you up. As for us today, we are all bearers of the most holy things, for we carry about in us the Son of God. We are the Holy of Holies, and his glory dwells right here. Look in the mirror. You want to know what it looks like? It's staring you in the face. 
We are the royal priesthood, and we need to walk worthy. And that starts in the privacy of our own prayer closets. No one else, whatever your prayer closet looks like, Susanna Wesley threw an apron over her head, and her kids knew, Mom's praying, leave her alone. So some of us have little rooms that we've prepared. Some of us have a corner. Some of us are driving in the car. Wherever your prayer closet is, that's where it begins, when it's you and the Lord alone. Now, there was another story that, oh, I didn't finish because there's more trouble that comes from Korah's rebellion. If you read through verses 35 through 40 there, and I mentioned a moment ago, the high priest censer was gold. These rebels were instructed to bring their censers, and they were made of brass, 250 of them. And apparently when the earth opened up and swallowed everybody whole, the censers were left on the surface. So God told Moses, go get them. They must have had some sort of reflective quality, and he told them to pound them flat. And then they were to mount them on the exterior of the altar of sacrifice, kind of like chain mail or scales, a decorative element. But when people came ever after to bring their offerings and their gifts and their sacrifices, they would see their own reflection coming off of the altar of sacrifice and be reminded of the rebellion of Korah and to watch out for it in their own heart. But the very next day, after the earth miraculously opened up and swallowed these people, verses 41 through 50, we see that 14,700 more are going to die in a plague. They are the fruit of Korah's rebellion. And they were irritated, and they blamed Moses for the slaughter of Korah and company. Like Moses has control to open up the earth and swallow someone whole. Moses is the guy who stood between their death and the Lord and said, no, Lord, don't kill these people in the wilderness. When the Lord said, listen, I'm done with them. I'm going to start over with you. And Moses said, no, no, don't. He was interceding on behalf of the people. And here we see the remedy for this plague is that the 100-year-old Aaron now is instructed, get your censer, the high priest censer, and put incense on it, and you run out there into the camp. Here's this 100-year-old man running through the camp in order to stop the plague. And look at verse 48. I love this. He took his stand between the dead and the living so that the plague was checked. And standing today between the living and the dead is Jesus Christ our great high priest who is living to make intercession on our behalf. Now, the last example that I would like to look at today is that of King Uzziah. And this is in 2 Chronicles chapter 26. We are going to read several verses here, 2 Chronicles 26. And up until this moment, King Uzziah had been a really godly, very, very good king. And sadly, in this moment, chapter 26, verse 16 says, But when he became strong, his heart was so proud that he acted corruptly, and he was unfaithful to the Lord his God, for he entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. There were 80 priests at that time, and the high priest, Azariah, and they all stood and barred his way. They urgently reminded the king that this is the office of the priest, not the king. God was reserving the uniting of the kingship 
with the high priesthood for his son. And this man was trying to get in and do what was not lawful before the Lord. And again, Almighty God is going to choose sides. Instantly, verse 21, King Uzziah was a leper to the day of his death, and he lived in a separate house being a leper, for he was cut off from the house of the Lord. Our prayers are precious. They are sacred to God. They belong to him exclusively. And I think our prayer is an indication of our position before the throne of God. King Uzziah's actions teach us that this grievous error of thinking that we can come before the presence of the Lord any old way we want. That we do not need an intercessor. But we know that there is one God and one mediator between God and man. And that is the man Christ Jesus. If we did not need a high priest to officiate, Jesus would not have had to suffer and die. But he did so that the way would be made that we can come boldly before the throne and pray without ceasing. All these three separate incidents are surrounding this altar of incense and the incense that's burned on it. Here was King Uzziah puffed up with pride. He dared to stand in the Lord, demanding his, in the presence of the Lord, demanding his own way. Korah and company were greedy for more. They were demanding power and prominence instead of being content with the ministry that God had given them, the sovereign God of the universe. And worst of all, perhaps in the very face of God, Nadab and Abihu, worse than careless with things that are holy before the Lord. They were disdainful, presumptuous, thoughtless, Jaded, call it whatever you want. It just strikes me right to my very core. And when I look in the mirror of God's word, I cry out, Father, is there any wicked way in me? Is there anything that I am taking and making common when you have called it holy? I picture myself there standing in that holy place with all these beautiful pictures of Jesus around me. And I know that I have come to that position by grace and grace alone. That it's what was done at the altar of sacrifice that allows me even to enter in. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 14 through 16. If you want to turn there, 2 Corinthians chapter 2. When we spend time at this altar of sac or, excuse me altar of incense we worship the lord we praise him we let our prayer ascend as a as a sweet smelling savor before the throne and we cannot help but come away from that smelling like the incense it permeates you know if you think about the priests who would serve every day in the tabernacle if they left the tabernacle and walked out into the camp no matter where they were, someone would be able to say, I smell a priest. It was so distinctive. And look at what we read in 2 Corinthians 2, verses 14 through 16. But thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and manifests. There's that word, turns the light on, brings it out into the open, into the light. Manifest through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every place, for we are a fragrance of Christ to God 
among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, an aroma from death to death. To the other, an aroma from life to life. You are carrying the fragrance of your Savior and his sacrifice with you everywhere you go. We need to do it in a holy manner and walk worthy. Do you realize that God broke his 400-year silence between the Old and the New Testament at the altar of incense? When Zacharias was there doing the ministry that took place at that altar, suddenly the angel of Gabriel showed up and announced to Zacharias that he would be the father of John the Baptist, the forerunner of the Messiah. Can you imagine what the Lord might have to say to you if you spend time in prayer at the altar of incense, listening as well as talking, and let that fragrance, that sweet-smelling savor permeate your life? Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for the open invitation that we have because of the blood of Jesus. You have invited us to come boldly before your throne. And we come knowing that our way to the golden altar has been made by the sacrifice of Jesus, who is even now taking this very prayer and making it into something fragrant and beautiful. Oh, Lord God, you are beautiful, and we love you. We rejoice to pray all these things in Jesus' precious name. And the bride of Christ said, amen. Amen. Oh, sisters, come let us adore him, Christ the Lord.